Alright, I will be Lamin Shaitan Rajiv. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Welcome back in um, to everybody. Um, as we said, in, indicated earlier, we welcome you to our marriage class presented by Mona Maath Ali. So without further ado, we'll pass over to Molina. Assalamu alaikum, Molina. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashraf al-mursaleen. Sayyidina wa nabiyina wa maulana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajib'in. We welcome everyone to our first session of our new course known as the Foundations of Marital Happiness. Inshallah, there is a number of principles that we will be learning tonight. These principles apply specifically to marriage, but also to life in general. If you imbibe these principles, you accept them and you put them into immediate action and you persist until you are able to achieve, then inshallah, your life is going to start to be different. You'll be a much more positive version of yourself. You'll be a much more happier version of yourself. People will interact with you better and they will like you. They will want to spend more time with you. These are principles that are called from the noble Quran, Kalamullah, the speech of Allah. And from the hadith of our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, also scientific evidence, research that was done, whether by Muslimin or by non-Muslims, and also my personal experience as a counselor for these last uh, 40 years. So whatever I will be discussing with you, it is based upon solid evidence, religious, as well as scientific, and as well as experiential. And Allah knows best. So tonight's lesson, inshallah, is known as the wisdom in marriage. Now the reason for this title is that Allah tells us in numerous places in the Quran that he is al-Hakim, he is a most wise being. And one of the meanings of wisdom is to place a thing where it belongs. Another meaning is that a wise being is not somebody that does things haphazardly, that does things without any benefit. So when such a being commands these people, the Muslimin, to enter into the institution, into the institution of marriage, then there has to be some type of a divine wisdom that underpins this command, that underpins this recommendation. There must be some great benefit that accrues to us. Now, before we have a direct look at this, there's something I want you to know. <clears throat> and that something is that we as creation, we have needs. There are things we cannot do without. Our primary need is to connect to our creator, that is undoubtedly. But Allah in his infinite wisdom, he has also created us with numerous other needs, natural needs. And as such, Allah does not take issue with those needs. This is how he has created us. He wants us to be like this, needy. The problem that Allah has with us as a species, and may our salvation lies as well, is the vehicle of fulfillment of our needs. 
Not, not the needs themselves. Allah got no problem with the needs. Allah got no problem with you wanting to fulfill your needs. Like in the context of a relationship or marriage, we all have emotional needs and we all have physical needs. Allah's got no problem with those emotional needs. And Allah's got no problem with those physical needs, intimacy needs. Allah's got no, no issue with it. The golden question is, how will you be fulfilling those needs? There's a vehicle of fulfillment that is pleasing to Allah. And there's a vehicle of fulfillment that is displeasing to Allah. Now, the underlying reason for this is Imam Shatibi discusses with us in his book, Al-Muwafaqat, is that everything in the dunya somehow is pros and everything in the dunya somehow is cons. Even when we speak of ibadat, acts of worship, they are not without cons. Like uh, we could be discussing waking up for Fajr when it is winter, getting out of your warm bed in order to make Fajr. Sometimes you might not have heated water, so then you would have to take wudu with cold water. It might be a very cold winter morning, and then perhaps you as a male has to go to the masjid, so you must venture out into the cold to attend the masjid. You understand? It's not without its cons. But the reality is that the pros far outweigh the cons. And that's why Allah commands us with ibadat, while Allah commands us with, with worship. And the things that are known as sins in Islam, honestly, they are not without benefit. It is just that the pros far outweigh, sorry, Maaf, the, the cons far outweigh the pros. And that is why it has been rendered haram by Allah. Just to give you an example, in Surah Baqarah, Verse 219, Allah says to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. They ask you regarding wine, khamar, and gambling, maysir. Say to them, O Prophet Muhammad, in them, meaning these two things, is a great sin, but there's also a number of benefits. So the term Allah uses for number of benefits in this ayah is manafi'a. Manafi is a plural in the Arabic language. It's a jump. And in the Arabic language, you only use a plural if, if, it, if it refers to at least three things. So Allah is telling us there is one sin in wine and gambling. And then Allah tells us there's a minimum of three benefits in them. However, then Allah says their sin is greater than their benefit. So though in number, the benefits are more, in gravity, in gravity, the sin that lies in consuming wine and any other intoxicant, the, the gravity of the sin of gambling, it far outweighs any potential benefit. And this is how Allah teaches us to look at the world. <clears throat> people that are sinners and people that are unwise, they keep their eye on the pro of the sin. And they keep their eye on the con of the act of obedience. While the pious people, they keep their eye on the pros of the act of obedience and keep their eye on the cons of the sin. And this is how you will be guided. You will be guided that if Allah commands, you will know that the pros outweigh the cons. And if Allah prohibits, you will know that the sins or the cons outweigh the pros. In this regard, human relationships, and the needs that human relationships seek to fulfill are no different. There's always pros. 
and there are always coins. The golden question is, what method is the method where the pros outweigh the cons when it comes to human relationships? So any other relationship other than nikah, Allah calls it zina. Between a man and a woman who are not related to one another, they're not mahram in any way, but for some reason or the other, they seek intimacy. And it doesn't need to be physical intimacy. It can even be an emotional intimacy. You understand? But it, 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 it comes down to zina. Zina is the generic term for all of these things. Most commonly is used for premarital sexual intercourse, in English known as fornication, and uh, extramarital sexual intercourse, in English known as adultery. However, the Prophet in one hadith, he indicates to us that even the things that lead to that, even that is also considered zina. So the Prophet said, not in a literal sense, but in a figurative sense. So the Prophet of Allah tells us, the zina of the eye is looking, the zina of the, of, the, of the mouth is talking. The zina of the hands, it is touching. And then the prophet tells us the heart will desire and the heart will hope. What does he desire? What does he hope for? And then the prophet says the privates will say whether that is the truth or not. Meaning thereby to look at a member of the opposite gender and to take a sexual enjoyment in that. That is the beginning of zina. To speak with a member of the opposite gender, and the aim is to try and create some type of a connection. You understand? Some type of an intimacy, even if it is only emotional. You understand? It is the beginning to the physical connection. We're going to start with some type of a touch. The claim will be there is no sexuality in that. The claim will be that it is innocent. But uh, inevitably, it opens the door to the actual act of Zina. Hearts will desire, especially the hearts of men, especially the hearts of men. Sometimes, unfortunately, our sisters are naive when it comes to men, when it comes to these issues. We quickly come to the conclusion that this is a, a, an old man. I grew up in his presence. We quickly come to the conclusion he's my cousin. We were raised together. He's like a brother unto me. But we forget what Allah says. Allah is all wise. Allah is all knowing. And Allah commands, this is your mahram, so you can allow yourself some interaction, even close. And this is your non-mahram, non and here you need to be careful. Like, for example, the Prophet of Allah tells us, Alhamdu al-Maut, your brother-in-law is death to you. So you can't tell yourself, this is my brother-in-law. When I married his brother, he was just a child. He was raised in front of me. You understand? I, I could never have any feelings for him. Maybe that's the truth on your side. It's not necessarily the truth on his side. Allah tells us, and we as Muslims should have confidence, and we need to act in accordance. Either way, the main reason I'm quoting this particular ayah from the Quran is that Allah says, do not approach zina. It is a shameful deed. If you want to fulfill your needs, physical or emotional via zina, all it will do is will bring shame upon, shame upon you. And notice what Allah says, it is a wicked path. So what did I say before? Allah's issue is not with the underlying need. Allah's issue is with the vehicle of fulfillment. Allah's issue is with the path to fulfillment of that need. And zina is a wicked path. It is a, it is a wicked vehicle of fulfillment. There's another path that is honorable. There's another path where if you get married, 
you will be known as Mr. and you will be known as Mrs. And these are terms of honor. In the West, they are telling you it's fine for other adults to sleep together as long as there's consent. And they are telling women, it is your body, you can do with it whatever you want to. But I want you to ponder for a moment and ask yourself whether what I'm about to tell you is the truth or not. Is it not so that if a man sleeps around, he's known as a stud, he's known as a player. But if a woman sleeps around, what is she known as? Ask yourself, what is she known as? When they in the West engage in a one-night stand, and the next morning, when the lady now finds her way, what is that walk? What is that called by them? They call it the walk of shame. Why do they call it the walk of shame? If, 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 if this is an honorable thing, then a lady should now be known as a stades if she engages in it. But now she's known as a slut and other, some other evil, uh, evil terms. You understand? And that walk away the next morning, it is known as the, as, the, as the walk of shame. So Allah is correct. <clears throat> and Allah knows best. This is a thing that brings shame, especially on women folk. But there's another way to fulfill need. And in that way, honor is given uh, to all. It is pleasing to Allah. It is pleasing to our parents. And it is pleasing to the Muslim community. So Allah, in accordance with his infinite wisdom, he knows everything, his encompassing knowledge. He prohibits all forms of intimacy between a man and a woman who are unrelated to each other, with the sole exception of nikah. In nikah, there is khair, there is goodness. In nikah, there is barakah. But as I said before, we are not denying that in other forms of relationships, there is inevitably some type of a benefit. But the cons, they will always outweigh the pros. Momentary pleasure, followed by endless suffering. This is not a good choice for any wise person. At the end of the day, the difference between nikah and any other relationship, which falls under the general rubric of zina, is the difference between spring water and Coca-Cola. I cannot deny Coca-Cola tastes very nice, especially when it is ice cold and on a warm summer's day. And the thing I tell people always is poison never tasted as good. Poison never tasted as good. We must learn to turn away from that. And we must turn towards that spring water in which lies health, in, in, in which lies longer lives, inshallah. Either way, in marriage, the pros outweigh the cons. The price paid for marriage, for the need fulfillment that is found in marriage, is an acceptable price, given the great value that marriage gives us. What that value is in detail, I will be discussing, inshallah. But the first point I want to get across to you is that marriage is not without its pitfalls. Marriage is not without its cons. The reason we marry is that the pros far outweigh the cons. The reason we marry is that it is the best thing out there for the fulfillment of certain needs. If we didn't have those needs, we wouldn't need to get married. But given that we have those needs, marriage is the best way to fulfill those needs. But we must embrace the cons of marriage as well. It comes at a price. Like, for example, if I were to say this in a different way, being an unmarried person, there are certain benefits to being an unmarried person. And being a married person, there are certain benefits. In the Islamic understanding, the benefits of being married outweighs the benefits of being unmarried. 
However, when you do get married, the benefits you enjoy to being unmarried, those benefits are somehow lost. You're giving up one set of benefits for another set of benefits. So marriage, the, 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 the need fulfillment that is happening in marriage must in your mind far exceed the need fulfillment that is found in the unmarried state. And Allah knows best. Either way, the Prophet of Allah he says in the hadith, it comes in Ibn Majah, we have not seen the equal of marriage for two people who would love one another. And this gives us the primary reason as to why people want to get married. They start to develop emotional feelings for one another. One scientist, she calls love, she calls it a biological imperative. She says it is because our forefathers fell in love with one another where that we now inhabit the earth. And as long as we continue to fall in love with one another, there'll be a following generation. So falling in love with somebody, that is a biological imperative. It is necessary for us as a species to continue to survive. However, there's a danger in that. There's a danger in that. It's in the very phrase. Why do they call it falling in love? Why don't they call it jumping in love? What's the difference between falling in love and jumping in love? If you ponder in it a little bit, you will realize that when you fall in love, there's no true choice. When you jump in love, there's choice. But you must remember now, nobody calls it jumping in love. Everybody calls it falling in love. So, so there's, a, there's, there's an admission that in some way or the other, an emotional connection is made that I have limited control over. And then afterwards, I decide to pursue it to a higher level. You understand? Inshallah, let's do the right thing. Let's get married. Let's enter into nikah. Is that the right way to get married? That is not the right way to get married. There is an Islamic way, a different way. Where instead of physical attraction being the start, there's first research as to the character of the individual. And then afterwards, there's a moment, let's call it the viewing, where we now see each other in the presence of family members, and we're able to see what the other looks like. And we're able now to discover whether there's physical attraction or not. And after knowing that you possess that certain set of akhlaq or akhlaq set, and now I discovered that I'm also attracted to you, now it makes sense to get married. But if you start out with attraction, as they say in the English language, love is blind. And in fact, in my mind, that is not love, it's lust. Because everything known as love at first sight. So I, I saw you for a few seconds, and then after that, I'm in love with you. What can you see in a few seconds? You cannot see uh, the character set of the other. All you can see is the exterior appearance. And when you get uh, feelings for people's exterior appearance, then that is a body liking a body. When a body likes a body, you cannot call it love. That is known as lust. There's no such thing as love at first sight. There's only lust at first sight. This is why there's also no such thing as falling in love. There's only falling in lust. And yes, that is a thing that can blind you to realities. You will then enter into a marriage, not with the aim of fulfilling the sunnah of our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. You won't be entering into the marriage with the most noble of aims and objectives in order to please Allah. It will be base. It will be base objectives. It will be carnal objectives. And what did the Prophet say? He said, Inna ma'al-amalu bin niyati wa inna ma'alikulli marim ma'anawa. 
all actions are in accordance with their intentions. And any individual, they will only get what they had intended. So if the intention is the Sunnah of the Prophet, if the intention is noble objectives, then surely you will be able to achieve that. But if the intention is worldly and the intention is carnal, then that is all that you will obtain. There's nothing wrong in having some worldly niyas and even a carnal niya in getting married, but it must be preceded by honorable uh, intentions. You understand? Ten intentions that is worthy for such a grand enterprise that is known as nikah. Where I'm going to be marrying somebody, and on average, I'm going to be with that somebody for at least another 45 years of my life, uh, if not longer. That person needs to possess a certain character set. That person needs to possess certain principles. And I need to be the same. Either way, moving on to the next issue. When we get married, the aim is to fulfill needs. The golden question is, what are those needs that we aim to fulfill in marriage? And what is the best way to their fulfillment? Now, there's many reasons why people get married. Like the Prophet says in the hadith, Tunkahul Maratuli Arbain, a woman is married for four reasons. And the ulama say the Prophet didn't want to limit it to four. He just merely wanted to indicate that those are the most common four reasons of his time. And he also wanted to indicate that one of the four should be uttermost, should be your primary focus. So he said, Tunkahul Maratuli Arbain. A woman is married for four reasons. Limaliha, for wealth. Wajamaliha, a beauty. Wanasabiha, a lineage. And then finally, Wadiniha, a religion. And then the Prophet said, Falthar bidati, deen taribat yadak. Marry the person that possesses religion. May your hands be soiled with dust. Also, the Prophet said, Ida ja'aku man tardawna deenahu wa khulqahu fazawijuhu. If a man comes and proposes to your daughter, and he's a person, you are pleased with his character, and you are pleased with his deen, meaning his beliefs, and also his religious practices. Then, marry him to your daughter, and you should marry him. If you don't, there will be temptation in the land. Why does temptation happen? Why does fitna happen? Why are you tempted? You are tempted because your needs are not fulfilled. A man that has good akhlaq and a man that fears his Allah regarding you, that is a man that will ensure that he will fulfill his duties towards you. Because whenever he interacts with you, he's asking himself, how, will, how does Allah look upon this? And when I meet my Allah on the day of Qiyamah, what will my hisab be like when I speak to her like this? When I interact with, uh, with her like that, what will it be like? So that person can be trusted to fulfill your, mar your marital need. And then you won't live a life of fitna, of temptation. And then the Prophet Allah also says, we don't marry your daughter to such a person, there will be fitna and there will be fasadun arid, widespread corruption of the moral order. One example of this is that in our age, homosexuality, homosexuality has really reared its ugly head. You understand? And more and more people are deciding to go that particular way. More and more people are deciding to go that particular way. And one of the reasons that it is happening is that they are supposed to find fulfillment of their need by members of the opposite gender. But because we are not doing what we should as men, and we are not acting the way that we should as women, we are not fulfilling the needs of, of, of the other. 
We, we, we're not good medical partners to them. And so they look for other avenues and find some of them, they will find their way to this facade, this corruption, uh, moral corruption that is known as homosexuality. But the more we can get married and make a success of marriage, and there's many conditions to this, and it will be discussed during the course, inshallah, what is the way to a successful marriage? It will be discussed. Tonight, one of the things I want you to know is what is the main variable? What is the main reason we get married? So whatever is in blue here, this is what I will be focusing on. But even certain words that come over there is an entire discussion on its own and could be a lesson on its own. In other, in other courses and in other classes, I do go into, into, into great uh, depth with regards to just some of the words that, that are mentioned here. Like if, 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 if you look at uh, whatever is in blue over there, you'll see it starts with the word connection. So I'm proposing that the main reason that people get married and the main reason for a successful marriage is connection. I just want to focus on this for a while before I explain the entire paragraph. One of the things I find myself saying to couples who come to me for counseling is that I say to them, one of the main variables of a happy couple, as opposed to an unhappy couple, a functional couple, as opposed to a dysfunctional couple. And then there's many variables, but the main one is positivity. And the underlying factor of positivity is that they stay connected. It doesn't matter what happens, they stay connected. So how does a functional couple operate as opposed to a dysfunctional couple? With a dysfunctional couple, if a problem comes up, they turn on one another. They become the enemies of one another. Instead of focusing on the problem, they start attacking one another. This method is known as soft on the problem, tough on the people. They become the enemies of one another. They are dysfunctional in how they approach the problems. To say this in a different way, I say to people regularly, the problem is not the problem. It's how you respond to the problem. That's the problem. So there's no person on the dunya, even if you're a Nabi, that lives a life free of problems. But why are Ambiya considered perfect people? Why are they our role models? You understand? Why do they live the best of lives, even though they suffer problems? I'm going to say it again. The problem is not the problem. It's how you respond to the problem. That's the problem. Uh, the variables of your life, frequently you have limited choice with regards to that. Allah produces it. The events of your lives. How you respond to those events, that is how you earn your akhirah, how you earn your right to go to Jannah, or how you fail and you earn Jannah. It is how you respond to the events of your life, not the events. So this couple over there, if any problem comes up, they become like attack dogs and they turn on one another and they attack one another. They don't tend to solve any problems. In a 10-year period, they can argue for 5,000 times. The underlying problems are only three, but uh, these underlying three problems are never resolved. So we have 5,000 arguments about three things. It's coming out in different forms and in different ways. You understand? But uh, the variables that are the same is that there's no focus on the problems. There's just a focus on the other. 
this approach I like to call it uh, in one of my marriage classes, I like to call it the approach of, of, of Jibril and the devil. Because this is actually how some, some people come to me for counseling. The suggestion is, I'm Jibril. And as you know, I'm an angel. There's nothing wrong with me. As for him, as for her, Molina, that is the devil. So what I want you to do, Molina, is I want you to focus on him. I want you to focus on her. Don't worry about me. I'm not doing anything wrong. And if they mention anything that I'm doing wrong, then Molina, you must remember that I'm Jibril. And we angels, we have our reasons for doing things. So don't focus too much on those things. Just listen to what I'm telling you about him, Molina. Just listen to what I'm telling you about her. You understand? Then there is the problem. Whatever else is happening, whether you're suffering poverty, you cannot pay your bills, whether you're suffering sickness, you're dying of cancer. You understand? It, it doesn't really matter. You understand? Those things are, are not the problems. There's another couple that sits with the same problem. And their marriage is not suffering. Their marriage is healthy. Allahu Akbar. The levels of intimacy are actually going through the roof. But they're also struggling not to pay their bills. You understand? One of them might be dying also of, 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 of cancer or COVID or anything like that. You understand? But uh, the level of intimacy that they're able to produce, Allahu Akbar. Why? What is their method? The functional method is... They are tough on the problems, soft on the people. When problems come their way, the principle is us against the world. That is the approach, us against the world. While that couple over there, when problems come, it's us against one another. They are soft on the problems. They don't solve problems. They are tough on the people. They are husband tough on his wife, wife tough on, tough on her husband. Over here, we soften one another. We have compassion. We proceed in accordance with the demands of love. You understand? And yes, we do focus on the problem. The problem is not ignored. You understand? But the problem is focused. This is met head on. We are a, a united force against the problem. And so we're able to achieve uh, whatever needs to be achieved. And Allah knows best. So I, I just focus on the word connection. And I'm telling you that it doesn't matter what is happening. It doesn't matter what is going wrong. If you as a, as a couple can keep the connection, you understand? If you can face things together, you can face almost anything that you can imagine. But either way, this is the reason, the, the main reason in my mind why we want to get married. We want to connect with another human being in the most intimate of ways. I have a mother, I have a father, I got a, I got a brother, I got a sister, I got friends. You understand? And there, there are levels of intimacy over there. But there are greater levels of intimacy. You understand? And with somebody that is not my family member, somebody who was a nobody in my world, you understand? I didn't care much about them. Uh, I didn't have love for them. I didn't have mercy for them. But by the grace of Allah, I married that person. And in the feelings of love, it comes about. You understand? And feelings of compassion comes about. And uh, Allah knows this. So I want to connect with another in the most intimate of ways. And... This connection, it will seek to satisfy marital need. So yeah, I just want to focus on this also for, for a moment. One of the problems I find in marriage is that people want to get married and then they want their husbands or wives to fulfill their every need. I need you to know that that is unrealistic. A marriage is designed to fulfill certain needs. And beyond that, you need other humans in your life to fulfill other needs. 
In fact, there are certain needs that you fulfill on your own. It has nothing to do with another human. Like, for example, your relationship with Allah. You understand? That primarily, primarily is just you and Allah. To have somebody on board that can assist you with that, mashallah, no problem with that. But you don't need another human being to do that. You don't need another human being to take wudu, to make ghusl. You understand? You don't need another human being to make salah. Yes, jamaat salah is the best. We cannot, we, we cannot deny that. But if there is no other human being, you're in an area where jamaat salah is not possible. It is, it is still possible to make that salah. You don't, you don't need anybody else when it, when it comes uh, to that. You understand? So if you want your every need to be fulfilled by, by your husband or by your wife, like maybe your parents said to you, and they had good intention, mashallah, but unfortunately, they might not have had uh, the know-how well, when it comes to this. Uh, we hear parents saying, especially to their daughters, you should have no friends. Your husband should be your only friend. I know what the underlying intention is by the grace of Allah. The underlying intention is you shouldn't be a lady that's on the road the whole time. You understand? You don't have time to look after your husband and after your, uh, after your children. You're always on the road with friends. That's the underlying reason. However, the problem in that is uh, as a lady, for example, you need a certain amount of conversation on a daily basis, right? Let's just put a, a figure there. Let's say you as a woman, you need to speak 15,000 words a day. Let's say that. So honestly, the type of conversations that you want to have with your husband, your husband is able to speak 15,000 words with you a day on that, that, those type of conversations? And the answer is no. The average male is not a person that tends to have deep conversations regarding emotional matters. If you want to speak about logistics, work logistics and the like, yes. If you want to speak about sport, when that is his, his, his thing, he's got a hobby. When I speak about deen, when that is his thing, Allahu Akbar. You understand? You can get hundreds of words, you might be able to get a few thousand as well. But you know, the main conversation that you want to have with your husband is regarding your relationship, how to improve it and things that aren't the way that you want it. It's only trouble talk. Men cannot handle a lot of trouble talk. Men cannot handle too much of that. So you need somebody else. Sometimes uh, intellectual advancement, high intellectual discussions, whether you're a man or a woman, you understand? Sometimes your husband or wife is just not up to that. You might be a professor, you understand? And your, your husband might just be a bricklayer, you understand? Oh, you're a professor, your wife is a housewife. You understand? So, so, so uh, the level of learning that you have, you understand? You will not be able to have that conversation with your husband or your wife. But it doesn't make them less of a husband or less of a wife. What you need is a friend or you need a colleague. You understand that you can have those type of conversations with. And uh, Allah knows best. Marriage seeks to satisfy marital need. You understand? If you put too, too many needs in there, it creates an overload, and then people are not able to do that. The next one also, it enhances existing happiness. Many people want to get married because they're unhappy, and they feel that, that marriage will make them happy. That is not how happiness works. It is not how money works. Money makes no one happy, and marriage makes no one happy. Money is a multiplier, and marriage is a multiplier. If you are a miserable person, and then money comes your way, then you're going to have many more options to be miserable. If you are a good and a pious person and a happy person and money comes your way, you're going to have lots more options to be happy and to do acts of piety.
like the Prophet said, Ni'mal mala salih li rajlu salih. A good halal money is in the hands of a pious person. Because the pious person is going to build masajid. They're going to sponsor madaris. They're going to feed the poor, uh, clothe the naked, uh, etc. But the same money is just a multiplier. Marriage is the same. So the people that should be getting married are happy people. You understand? And uh, why do they want to get married? Because they know that marriage will enhance the happiness that they have. It will multiply it. Then also the difficulties of life, the problems that we have to go through, also the toils of life, the work that we have to do. If you get married, especially in the historical sense, then there is a, a division of labor. You understand? If I as a man get married in the historical sense, especially the traditional sense, then there's certain things that I can expect my wife to do. You understand? As for my wife, there's certain things that she don't need to worry about. She can expect me to do. Like, for example, in the Islamic understanding, if a woman marries a man, she never needs to worry about finance ever for the rest of her life. You understand? It is the duty of her husband to provide her with nafaka, with spousal maintenance, with financial support. So she's got no need to worry as long as she remains uh, married to him. You understand? He now takes on that toil of life. You understand? And uh, Allah knows best. So all of these things, and there's lots of detail that goes into it, you understand? These are the things that I believe are the reasons, the main reasons why we get married. And the main one is the one that I said in the beginning, we desire a certain connection with another human being. A type of connection that we cannot have with our father or mother or our brother or sister. Allah tells us it's for our room. Verse 21. To me, this ayah is actually the greatest ayah when it comes to marriage and relationships. This ayah. It gives you the primary reason and it gives you the method also to achieving uh, that primary reason. You understand? What is the underlying need and how to achieve it? So Allah tells us, Surah Rum, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Wa min ayatihi an khalaqa lakum min anfusikum azwajan litaskunu ilayha wa ja'ala baynakum mawaddatu wa rahmah and of the many signs that there is in Allah, that Allah is wise, that Allah is capable, that Allah is loving, and that Allah is considerate, is that Allah has created for you, of you, or from yourselves, mates or spouses. So for you, of you, spouses. Now Allah could have just said that he had created for us spouses. But Allah went out of his way to add from yourselves. And so there must be an underlying reason why Allah said it. And to me, the underlying reason is that Allah is telling me, I as a man, I could, have, I could not have entered the world were it not for the prior existence of a member of the opposite gender, meaning my mother. And if you are a lady, you could not have entered the world were it not for the fact of the prior existence of a member of the opposite gender, meaning your father. So our very existence depends on a member of the opposite gender. Yes, it involved a member of my own gender as well. Like in my case, my father. And perhaps in your case, your mother. You understand? It did involve a member of the same gender, but it needed the involvement of a member of the opposite gender. And in this, there's an ishara, an indication, that just as how my existence depended upon the member of the opposite gender, my best experience of life, my best happiness also lies with a member of the opposite gender. Somehow, when you're not married, when, you, when you're not in this 
a relationship known as nikah. This, this something doesn't feel right. You understand? There's some type of an instability. You understand? Something is missing. You understand? You 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 know deep down that life can be better. Many of the ulama, like for example Imam Tabari, in his tafsir, when he speaks of this ayah, he makes a reference to the fact that Hawa السلام, was created from the rib of Nabi Adam. Allah created for you of your spouses. Here's something for you to think about. Why did Allah create Hawa from the rib of Nabi Adam, roughly the middle of his body, to indicate a certain degree of equality? Why didn't Allah create Hawa from the head of Nabi Adam to be superior? Why didn't Allah create Hawa from maybe a toe or another part of his foot to be his inferior, but rather Allah created her from a rib. And what is the purpose of a rib? The purpose of a rib is to protect delicate internal organs. And that is an indication also now to the type of relationship that Allah wants between a man and a woman. Either way, Allah says, why did Allah create for us, all of us, spouses? So that we might find sakina, tranquility by them. What is tranquility? To me, tranquility is the state that you enter into when all your needs are met. Whenever I think of the best sight of tranquility that I've ever seen, I always think of a baby. After the baby is breastfed by its mother, the baby enters into something that I, I, I call milk intoxication. He looks, he looks like he's drunk. You understand? He's in such a state of situation, he's super happy. And all he drank was milk. You understand? But it, it enters in, in, into a state of super happiness. It's like a baby Jannah. You understand? That he enters into. To me, that is the ultimate sight of Sakina. And in a like manner, if I'm the right person and I marry the right person and we treat each other in the right way, then there will be a meeting of marital needs, a fulfillment of marital needs, and then both of us, inshallah, will enter into a state of sakina, tranquility, a state of repose. The marital need is met. And when we enter into the state, then the world can come with its challenges. I'm ready to face it. I have a person by my side that is with me. They are with me through the good and they are with me through the bad. The good is made better because of the fact that they are there. And the bad is also made better due to the fact that they are there. You understand? Goodness multiplied. As for badness, the load is, is, is diminished because there's somebody that carries the load with me. What is the method to this need fulfillment? Now we're going to have to go into the needs, but what is the method for this need fulfillment? So Allah answers it when Allah says, and he plays between you love and compassion. Love and compassion. So I've come to realize that there are two seasons to life. There's summer season and there's winter season. Summer is when things go your way and you're happy. And winter season is when things don't go your way and you're upset, you're frustrated. Your husband or wife uh, is upsetting you. You understand? So what is the right emotional response? What is the direction that I should go into when things go my way as opposed to when things don't go my way? So there's a general hadith with the Prophet some teaches us how to respond. You understand? And it has nothing to do with marriage. Right? It has to do with life as a whole. But they must remember that marriage is a, is, is a part and parcel of life. But either way, 
The Prophet of Allah tells us, Ajaban li amri al-mu'min. Strange and wondrous is the way of the true believer. Inna amrahu kullahu lahu khair. All his conditions are good for him. وَلَيْسَ ذَلِكَ لِأَحَدٍ إِلَّا لِلْمُؤْمِنِ And that is for none but the true believer. إِنْ أَصَابَةُ أَسَرَّاءُ شَكَرَ فَكَانَتْ خَيْرًا لَهُ When good times come his way, he expresses shukr, thanks and appreciation to Allah. And so his good times are registered as good by Allah. وَإِنْ أَصَابَةُ أَدَرَّاءُ And when bad times come his way, صَبَرَ He is patient. فَكَانَتْ خَيْرًا لَهُ So even his bad days is registered as good by Allah. So this is the secret to the two seasons of life. You understand? When things are going your way, express shukr to your Allah. Thanks and appreciation. And when things don't go your way, exhibit sabr. Exhibit sabr. Now since marriage is, is a sector of life, there should be a shukr in marriage also. You understand? And there should be a sabr in marriage also. But the shukr you show your spouse, the best form of shukr is love. And these two things, they feed into one another. You understand? Whenever you love somebody, it is because you are grateful for the value that they have entered into your world. And the same thing with sabr. You understand? When, when things don't go your way, maybe your husband or wife is upsetting you, you need to, uh, to, to exhibit sabr. You understand? And the best way to exhibit sabr is to show them compassion. You understand? To show them compassion. So there's good in your spouse, and you should love the good. And there'll always be a negative side to your spouse as well. And over there, there needs to be compassion. So what I've discovered is that we in the year 2021, we believe in the concept of eternal summer. You understand? And we believe that winter must never come. You need to know that it is unnatural. Eh? It is unnatural. Uh, uh, that the planet is designed in such a manner that there's going to be a hot season, spring and summer, and there's going to be a cold season, uh, autumn and winter. And the relationships and businesses and everything that you can imagine is like that also. You understand? You're going to have your up days where you're making a great profit. And then you're going to have your down days when you're going to suffer losses. Uh, it is because people have not properly considered Surah Yusuf, the fat years and the lean years, that many people were caught off guards now with the coming uh, of COVID. You understand? We had so many years that were fat years. Money was in abundance. And so we bought things. We bought things in credit also. We thought we would have money to pay the debt. You understand? And then COVID came and COVID struck us. Why were we Muslims caught uh, by surprise? That the non-Muslims were caught by surprise? That's given. But why were we Muslims caught by surprise? Are we not the people of Surah Yusuf? You understand? Are we not the people that know the fat years followed by the lean years? And during the fat years, you must put aside for the lean years? And the same thing emotionally. During the fat years in your marriage, where everything is going away, you must engage in so much loving behavior with your spouse that when the days come when there might not be as much love, you understand, then it will be easy to think back to the love of the past. And it will be easy to allow that to put sabr in your heart. You understand, to allow that to feel, have feelings of compassion uh, for your husband uh, or your wife. In the year 2021, nobody's getting an easy ride. In the year 21, 2021, nobody's marrying somebody perfect. We are an imperfect people marrying imperfect people and loving each other in an imperfect way. For marriage to survive and thrive in the year 2021, we have to handle three levels of imperfection. 
and we need to make it work. Are you going to make it work? You're going to make it work with love. And not just love the emotion. Love the emotion is a fickle brother. He comes when he wants to and he goes when he wants to. You have no true control over him. You understand? But love the action. In Islam, the focus is more on action than feelings. You understand? On the Qiyama, they're not going to be weighing feelings. They're not going to be weighing potential. The things that you could have done. That's the thing I hear in counseling a lot. Maulana, I'm actually a good person. But the only reason I'm like this with him or with her is because they do this to me and they do that to me. I need you to know that potential means nothing. You understand? You are not what you can do. You are what you do. This is why in the English language they say, stupid is as stupid does. It doesn't matter what your IQ is. You understand? If you're doing stupid things, you're a stupid person. Stupid is as stupid does. If you are doing unloving things and you are saying unloving things, you are saying cruel and nasty things, then the reality of life is that you are a cruel and nasty person. You understand? You cannot say that, no, no, I'm a good person inside. I'm just behaving like this on the outside. He has made me so. She has made me so. The circumstances I find myself in has turned me into this. That's a lie. Circumstances do not produce anyone. Circumstances do not produce. Circumstances only expose. The crack was always in there. You understand? If under certain circumstances you will murder somebody, then that means that you are always a murderer. The potential was always there. It just waited for the right circumstances. There's another person who in the same circumstances will not murder, will abstain from murder. You understand? Because that person doesn't suffer that particular weakness. You understand? So your circumstances do not produce you. That is a lie. Your circumstances expose you. That is, that is the truth. The weakness was always there. You cannot have recourse and you cannot uh, take pride in your potential. You can only take pride in what you have done. You can only take pride in what you have done. And when I say take pride, I mean the good pride, the pride of achievement. You understand? I don't mean that arrogant pride, that boastful pride, where you consider yourself superior to others. Either way, the recipe to a good marriage, and I will be elaborating upon this, inshallah, is love and compassion. Love during the summer season when things go away and compassion, rahmah, mercy uh, during the winter season. Exactly how that is done, we will be explaining. But I've already indicated that the hadith over there of sabr and shukr, that hadith links with this ayah. You understand? It is the shukr that produces the love. It is the love that causes the shukr. It is the sabr that will produce the compassion. It is the compassion that produces the sabr. And Allah knows best. And then Allah says at the end, Indeed, in that are signs for the people who give thought, for the people who reflect, for the people who tafakkur. They ponder in things. You understand? They will take an ayah like this and they will read over it and they will think in the meanings and they will, they will digest it. You understand? It will take them a while. They're not just going to give you a quick read and, okay, I, I understand do this from the ayah, vum the ek. You understand? They're going to ponder in it. Even they have to ponder in it for a month. You understand? And every day and observe other people so they will see it uh, everywhere. Yeah, I just want to tell you something very quickly. There are three humans that work with us. There's the normal human, there's the stupid human, and there's the wise human. Like in the Quran, Allah speaks of Luqman al-Hakim, Luqman the wise. So the question is, what made Luqman the wise? So Luqman became wise because he learned from the mistake of others. The mistakes of others, he learned from it. And this is why he was known as wise. If others make a mistake and you observe, like you think in, on this ayah, you tafakkur, and then you see other people acting contrary to this ayah, and you see how they suffer. 
and then you see other people acting in accordance with this ayah, and you see the good consequences that they enjoy. You understand? And then you decide, right, oh, I'm going to live my life like that, and I'm going to avoid that. So that means you're a wise person. Because you never needed to make the mistake. Others made the mistake. You understand? And you learned from their mistake. That's wise. Then you get a normal person. A normal person makes a mistake, they get hurt, and they learn from it, and they don't do it again. This is why the Prophet of Allah said, Al-Mu'min, the true believer, la yuldalhu, is not maratain from the same hole twice, meaning from a snake If a Muslim walks past a snake or a snake burrow, and a snake comes out and bites him, then the Muslim will learn, and he won't do that thing again. He will abstain from that route that takes him past uh, the snake burrow. So what did the Prophet mean by that? In light of what I'm telling you, the Prophet is saying, a, a true believer at, at best is wise, is learning or she's learning from the mistakes of others. And at worst, a true believer is a normal person who learns from their own mistakes. And who's the stupid person? The stupid person is the person that don't even learn from their own mistakes. They did something, they got hurt, they did it again, they got hurt again. Then they did it again and got hurt again, then they did it again and got hurt again, and this can go on forever. You understand why is it like this? Because the person is stupid. And here I want to introduce another principle, all of which I will be discussing as time goes. Please do not blame anybody else if you are currently suffering and you are not experiencing the enjoyment that you want. That is the way of losers. You understand? That is the way of underachievers. People who are looking for others to blame. You need to assume personal responsibility for your life. The main actors in your life is you and Allah. You understand? Those are the main actors uh, in your life. And you are constantly making choices. If the choice is good, you will enjoy a good consequence. And if the choice is bad, you will suffer a bad consequence. So if you, at this moment in time, is at a place, so this could be a physical place, it could be an emotional place as well, in other places. If you find yourself at a place, emotionally or otherwise, where you feel that you are suffering, then accept that you made a stupid choice yesterday. So that's why you're suffering today. Because it is the negative consequences of your stupid choice of yesterday. And if you are enjoying today, then give thanks to Allah, make sugar to Allah, that Allah gave you tawfiq and hidayah. Allah guided you to making the right choice yesterday. So that is why you're enjoying today. Stop blaming your parents. I was raised like this. And, uh, stop blaming your husband. Stop blaming your wife. Take control of your life. Stop blaming your children. It's because I got so many children. Stop all of that. You understand? There's always a way out of what you find yourself in, into a better condition. Yes, Rome was not built in one day. You, you, you cannot expect to apply a principle just once and then your entire life changes. You must commit to change. You must commit to change. You understand? You mustn't try change. You must do change. And you must persist in a method that has proven itself to be correct until that method produces the result that you want. Because there's only three people in the dunya. Two are losers and one is a winner. The first loser didn't accept the theory, so they didn't even try. The second loser tried, but just did the thing once or twice and then gave up. The successful person embraced the theory 100% because it made sense. And others had acted upon this and they had achieved. And then this person committed to the practice of the theory 100%. They persisted until they produced. The dunya, the dunya folds for a person that is committed, for a person that doesn't give up. 
In some cave out there, there's a drop that is falling on a rock. That drop has been falling on that rock for a thousand years. And if you look, look at the rock uh, at the bottom, you will see that the, the, the drop has drilled a hole right through the hole, uh, through the rock. What can a drop do? But you see a persistent drop, a persistent drop can drill a hole through a rock. You understand? So you need to be that persistent drop. And then you will be able to achieve. You will be able to achieve marital happiness, relationship success. You will be able to achieve anything you want in life. You understand? If you come across the right theory, the right idea, you understand? And there's nobody that is sitting with better ideas than your Allah. Because your Allah is Badi'u Sanawati wal Ard. Your Allah is the innovator of the heavens and the earth. Before your Allah created the heavens and the earth, there was nobody else that had an idea like this. And we that are humans, so we call ourselves inventors. We aren't. We are imitators. We're constantly imitating Allah. You understand? Like the Vyalpo strap. Uh, Vyalpo strap, uh, apparently there's an inventor. That's a lie. It's not an inventor. If you read the story of the inventor of the Vyalpo strap, you will find out that a man that wore a, a woolen jersey and he walked into a field where there was lots of uh, thorn bushes. And then the thorns, it stuck to his jersey. You understand? And as he was struggling to get the thorns out of the jersey, he came up with the idea of the Velcro strap. If you look at the one side of the strap, you will see there's a material that looks almost like wool. And if you look at the other side, you'll see a little bit of hooks. You understand that it's almost like thorns. We are not innovators, really. We are imitators. We're constantly imitating Allah. We're constantly taking note of what Allah has done. You understand? And then we use that to our benefit. And Allah knows best. So Allah has got the best ideas. And Allah is the best of helpers. You take the idea from Allah. You place your trust in Allah. And then you plod along in a committed fashion. And you will definitely be able to achieve. Those who commit themselves to love in the marriage. And those who commit themselves to compassion in the marriage. Those are the people that will achieve. The how behind it, we need to explain that. It's coming. Don't you worry. This is the first session. It's just an introductory session. You understand? Already we're throwing a lot of theory at you and a lot of principles. You understand? But elaboration will come in Allah's best. Either way, so Allah has created us not as one gender only, but as two. And uh, we are identical in species, but we possess different anatomies. We possess varying psychological inclinations. We have alternate priorities. But these differences are complementary. And they produce a certain harmony between the two genders that make each the perfect counterpart of the other. To say this in a different way. And this will give you an example. I say to people in my, my live uh, marriage classes, not these online ones, uh, there's an example I like, so I tell them that uh, men are people of focus. And they focus on one thing. Understand? Because we men, we possess compartmentalized minds. So we only one compartment at, at a time. Women are the masters of observing everything. Understand? We are the masters of observing one thing. Women are the masters of observing everything. Right? So to give you an example. Just imagine a sniper. The sniper is a male. So he's sitting with his sniper rifle. He's looking through the scope. Understand? So whichever area he's looking at, he can zoom in. And you can enlarge it, you understand, and you can see. But the problem with the sniper is that he's not able to detect uh, the enemy. He's not able to detect the enemy. But next to him is another person, a scanner. She's of the female gender. 
You understand? So this scanner is sending out a signal and scanning in a 360 degree angle. She's scanning. All directions she's scanning. And then she detects an enemy. And then she tells the sniper there's an enemy in that direction. Let's say 15 degrees uh, northeast, there's an enemy. Then what the sniper does is he uh, points his rifle now in that direction, he lifts through his scope, he's able to see the enemy now, and then he hones in, you understand, and he's able to take out the enemy. Imagine a sniper without a scanner. Cannot perform. Imagine a scanner without a sniper. Scanner will be able to detect now the enemy, but the scanner will not be able to take out the enemy. So this is the idea of the two genders. This is the idea of the two genders. One has been given a certain set of skills and the other one has been given a different set of skills. And to say this in a different way. It is my belief that a man and a woman are two halves of a perfect unit. Two halves of a perfect unit. A man has certain strengths, but those strengths by design produce weakness in the man. To say this in a different way, based upon what we said before, there's certain pros to being a man, or there's certain pros to the, to the, the, the male way of doing things, but there's cons to that way also. Who will protect the man from his cons? So the answer is his wife. His wife. The strengths of a woman are the weaknesses of a man. You understand? So a woman protects a man from his weaknesses. And then the same woman who has pros, she also has cons. Will protect her from her cons. Whatever her pro qualities are, you understand? It also produces cons. As how whatever his pro qualities are, it produces cons. So she protects him from his cons, and he is designed to protect her from her cons. You understand? So now what we're sitting with, alhamdulillah, we're sitting with the pros of a male and we're sitting with the pros of a female. While the pros of the male is protecting the female from her cons, and the pros of the female is protecting the male from his cons. Together, they make this perfect team. They make this team that can face anything. But what is the problem in the year 2021? The problem in the year 2021 is that we are not reconciled to one another. Uh, we have not harmonized ourselves with one another. In fact, each of us start, have started to think that we are the superior gender. Men think that they are superior to women. You understand? And women think that they are superior to men. And if you read articles, uh, like once somebody showed me a cosmopolitan article and the cosmopolitan article went uh, uh, how to unleash the, fee, the, the, the feminine in your, in, in your husband. The feminine in your husband. I was blown away just by the title already. You understand? So somehow inside every man there's a little woman. You understand? And uh, you have to bring that little woman out. So you have to feminize your husband. You understand? Uh, what is this? Feminizing your husband. I, I don't understand. Right? Uh, just imagine uh, I'm speaking to a, to, 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 to a slice of bread and then I'm telling the bread, why are you so bready? Why are you so bready? What do you expect bread to be like? Bread is bready. You understand? That, that, that's how it is. So man is manly and the woman is, is, is feminine. You understand? Uh, it was never the divine design that a woman should be manly. And that the man should be feminine. It was never the design. You understand? Uh, this discussion of who is the, who is the better gender, it's, it's, it's a discussion of idiocy. You understand? It's like when you look at a spoon and you look at a fork, which utensil is the better utensil? Uh, it's an idiotic uh, discussion. 
the question is to do with what type of food am I eating? You understand? So if I'm eating soup, obviously a spoon is not going to be working. You understand? And if I'm eating noodles, sorry, Mav, if I'm eating soup, then obviously a fork is not going to be working. The spoon is the utensil. And if I'm eating noodles, then obviously a spoon won't work as well. The fork is what I need. And now you have to ask yourself, what if you had a spork? <laughs> Meaning you had a utensil on the one side, there was a spoon and on the other side, there was a fork. And this is the aim of, of nikah. When I say nikah is, is to create the spork. Where I, I sit with both a fork and I sit with a spoon. So now I'm ready to face any meal. You can throw any meal my way, throw a pizza my way, throw soup my way, throw jelly my way. It doesn't matter what you throw my way, I'm ready for you, right? And if you get married, we've got a man in here, we've got a woman in here. Now it doesn't matter what you throw our way, we're able to handle it, you understand? So there are, there's times where the man goes to the front and the woman goes to the behind. And then there must be times in life where the woman goes to the front because this is her area of expertise now. And the man goes uh, behind. But in our age, the men want to rule the, 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 the roots. They want to handle everything. You understand? Or the woman want to handle everything. And that is why that is next week's discussion. Who's the boss? Who's the boss? You understand? That's something we need to figure out. Who's the boss? Because uh, everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody wants to be the person that is listened to. Everybody wants to be the person that is catered uh, for. Uh, is that the aim of marriage? You understand? And uh, the answer is no, no, no. That's not the aim of marriage. The aim of marriage is to be a team. Yes, there must be a leader. But how the leader operates also, that's the thing that we need to discuss. And Allah knows best. But either way, the male energy and the female energy must be complementary. They must be harmonized with one another. And when this happens, they will make the perfect counterparts. You understand that the, the, the fit will be perfect. It is a divine design. You understand? The man needs to have certain manly features. And a man is somebody that is protective about his wife. You understand? He has loving affection for her. He's got kind regard. You understand? And all of this is found in the concepts of, 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 of love uh, and compassion. The same thing uh, with a woman. Naturally, you want to admire your husband, you want to respect him, you understand? Uh, naturally, you want to be a passive recipient of certain things, and then you want to show him gratitude. That is the design. You understand? You're designed to want to do that. He's designed to receive that. That is where happiness lies. But we live in an age where men do things, and they don't care. They don't care. You understand uh, how their wives feel about things. They don't care about the hurt. You understand? Women also. Women are, women are confronting their husbands. You understand? This is the thing I'm told regularly in counseling. Maulana, so I confronted him. So I say, you confronted him regarding what? Did he commit zina? Did he commit murder? Did he steal your money? Did he sell your house? What did he do? So then the issue is a minor issue. So why in a minor issue do you want to confront your husband? You understand? Is that, is that the right thing to do? Confront your wife, confront your husband. What is the mental imagery that is created when we use the word confront? So in my mind, I see two humans standing chest against chest, uh, ready to strike each other blows. You understand? Saying ugly things. You understand? Uh, is that what marriage is designed for? Some type of a civil war that, that's marriage? No. Marriage uh, is on the basis of cooperation. Marriage uh, operates on the basis of mutual consideration. And the reality is that mistakes will be made. Mistakes will be made. Somehow, if I make a mistake, one of the leading couple counselors in the world, 
a lady from France, Brussels. She wrote a book called Mating in Captivity. I forget the name now. Allah Muhammad. I will probably remember it further on. But either way, in one of the writings, he says that when your spouse makes a mistake, you are quick to say that it is based upon the character of that individual. It is the character. And when you make a mistake, you will say that it is situational. It is circumstantial. So circumstances produce this error. It's not my character. But when your spouse makes a mistake, you will be quick to say it is their character. He or she is lazy. He or she is inconsiderate. Uh, his daddy is like this. That's why he's like this. Our mommy is like this. That's why she's like that. You understand? We, we, we're quick to, 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 to do uh, psychological an, an analysis uh, as well. You understand? Sometimes we're not psychologists or psychiatrists. You understand? And even if you were, you understand? Those are things you must do during your working hours. You mustn't do it uh, with your husband uh, or your wife. You understand? You're going to reach conclusions, and those conclusions is going to take your marriage south. You're going to go down the rabbit hole. You understand? And uh, Allah knows best. It's best to handle problems uh, as they happen. You understand? And focus on the problem and avoid uh, psychoanalysis and the like. The aim over there is to attack the character of that person. It's a type of an ad hominem uh, that you're engaging in. You understand? We, uh, it's better that you complain. You say what you want and you say what you don't want. But leave the character of the other out. You understand? And the way of Islam is, is, is Hosnodan, not Su'udan. Hosnodan is we give others the benefit of the doubt. If something happened, but there's more than one way to interpret it, the interpretation where they are good people, that is the interpretation that we should go for, unless we've got solid evidence to the contrary. You understand? If you always have a negative opinion about your spouse, you always think the worst of them, then uh, you mustn't expect them to continue to love you. You understand? You mustn't expect them to continue to love you. Because your appraisal of them, it is negative. People didn't get married to be criticized. You understand? People didn't get married to have their character assassinated. And when you engage in such behavior, it affects love. Every time you do it, it chops away at the love that they have for you. And then eventually one day there is no love. You destroyed it yourself. It wasn't something that they did. Even if they made mistakes. You understand? The problem is how you responded to the mistakes. Your, your response wasn't, wasn't appropriate. And uh, Allah knows best. Either way, when people get married together, they can achieve what they cannot do on their own. Together, they form a perfect whole where the one protects the other from the defect uh, of the gender. To be a man, there's a pro to it, but there's a defect in there as well. To be a woman, there's a pro to it, there's a defect in there as well. The man protects the woman from her defect. The woman protects the man from his defect. Together as a team, this is what Allah has designed for us. I've already mentioned the seasons, uh, the winter season and the summer season, and that the appropriate response to summer is love and uh, appreciation. So mawadda and shukr. And the appropriate response to the winter season uh, is mercy and, uh, and sober. Yes, Shamil, my time right now? Yes, we are the last uh, few minutes of the class, Molina. Um, okay, no problem. One question that comes through. And then, uh, okay, you want me to focus on the question, another? That yeah, and the author's name. Did you send it to me? Yeah, is I sent it to you? What's up? Oh, is it Esther Perel? Yeah, the author's name is Esther Perel. 
That's who here, what I've got here is, the Sheikh also mentioned that your spouse can't fulfill all your marital needs. Where does one draw the line? That is not what I said. What I said is, uh, the aim of marriage is to fulfill marital needs. The aim of marriage is not to fulfill all your needs. You understand? So I qualified the concept of need with marital. You understand? That was a qualifier. So why are you taking a husband? Why are you taking a wife? Because you want to fulfill marital needs. You understand? That is what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, what is it now? I'm not saying that uh, uh, your husband mustn't fulfill all your marital needs or your wife mustn't fulfill all your marital needs. I'm saying they are not there to fulfill all your needs. They are there to fulfill all your marital needs, but they're not there to fulfill all your needs. There's many needs that you have that are not designed to be fulfilled by your, by your husband or your wife. Maybe it's designed to be fulfilled by your mother and your father or by your brother or your sister or by a friend or maybe by a teacher or maybe by a sheikh. You understand? And you are the murid of that particular sheikh. You understand? And you have certain spiritual needs and you require certain spiritual guidance. You understand? Perhaps that, that cannot be uh, fulfilled by your husband and it cannot be fulfilled by your wife. You understand? So uh, what I'm limiting things to are marital needs. You took a husband to fulfill marital needs. You took a wife to fulfill marital needs, not other needs. When you as a human being, you've got 100 needs, only 10 of them are marital needs. But you want your husband to fulfill 100% of your needs. You want your wife to fulfill 100% of your needs. It puts too much pressure on the relationship. The relationship won't be able to take it. No husband is able to be every person that his wife needs. And no wife is able to be every person that the husband needs. And uh, Allah knows best. Right, is that the only question, uh, Shannon? Uh, yes, Monan, that's the only question that comes through. Um, okay, we have another question that just arrived. Can I pass it on to you? No problem, go ahead. Okay. If you do have any questions, please feel free to take the opportunity we have in the next few minutes to send your questions through to us so that we can uh, pass it on to Molina, inshallah, and Molina will address it uh, in class now, uh, inshallah. Okay, I see. Okay, so the question is, uh, I said that financially, husband must look after his spouse and her husband is hers. Can he elaborate? Uh, oh, sorry, her money is hers. Can he elaborate on that? Right, so according to Islamic law, a wife is not required to provide for her husband. You understand? A husband provides for his wife. Uh, a wife does not provide for her husband. You understand? So what we mean thereby is with regards to duty. It is the duty of a husband to provide for his wife. It is not the duty of a wife to provide for her husband. And uh, what it means specifically is basic needs. So there are seven basic needs that Sharia recognizes that a wife has, that it is the duty of the husband to provide for. So one of them is accommodation. The other is eating and drinking. So it means both a uh, staple diet and condiments uh, that go with that. Then we have uh, hygienic needs. So that is, for example, your shampoo and your soap, you understand, and your toothpaste, toothbrush, etc. Uh, we need furniture in the house as well. And uh, if the lady comes from a house where there was a maid, then it is the husband's duty uh, to provide her with a maid as well. Also in the modern age, uh, husband is required to, put, to pay his wife's uh, medical expenses as well. The classical ulama did not add uh, medical expenses because uh, medicine back in the day, uh, it fell under the title of food. You understand? So it's the husband's duty to provide with food. And in the, back in the historically, that would be certain herbs 
you understand it would serve uh, medicinal purposes. Uh, in our age, uh, medicine is, is, is no longer herbal. That's the first uh, issue. And uh, the medical fraternity engages in, uh, in operations and the like. And uh, since the husband uh, has the right to, to bar his wife from work, uh, according to Islamic law, you understand, uh, he is then required uh, to pay all those expenses and uh, Allah knows best. So this is duty. You understand? Duty. If however the wife wants to live on a certain financial level, you understand, and the husband's pocket is not able to manage that, then the two of them can enter into, into an agreement where they, where, they, where, they, where, they, where they share in the payment of the rent or they share in the payment of a bond, a halal bond uh, that doesn't carry interest. Uh, here there's a big issue uh, with regards to that. Uh, many people are thinking that it is permissible to buy a house uh, on an interest-bearing bond. I need you to know that it is haram. Uh, people are saying that uh, there's a necessity to own a house, and the law in Islam is that necessities render lawful what is normally haram. So the law that you are quoting is correct. Necessity renders lawful what is haram. But I need you to understand that it is not a necessity to own a house. It is a necessity to live in a house. It is not a necessity to own a house. So while you're able to rent, you understand, you don't need to enter into an interest-bearing bond. So that's the first issue. Then the second issue is this. These days, banks like EPSA and FNB and so forth, uh, Al-Baraka Bank also, they are offering uh, Sharia-compliant home loans where, where there's no interest. Like uh, Al-Baraka Bank is offering Murabaha, which is known as cost plus. So if you want to buy a house, let's assume it's 5 million rand, you want to buy it. So Al-Baraka Bank will buy it, and then Al-Baraka Bank will resell it to you and make a profit. You understand? Let's assume they resell it to you for 6 million rand. You understand? So that is known as Murabaha or cost plus. So whatever is their cost on the house, they will add the profit, and then they will sell it to you, and that will be a debt. So that's one example. And there's other examples out there as well. So uh, there are Sharia compliant alternatives. While there are Sharia compliant alternatives, you do not have the right uh, to resort uh, to, 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 to home finance that involves uh, interest. On that also, that law that uh, people mention when they say necessity renders lawful what is normally haram. There is actually uh, another principle that controls that law. And that principle is known as uh, need is only to the degree of the necessity. So meaning thereby, and let's assume uh, there was no houses to rent. Let's assume that uh, you weren't able to get uh, some type of home finance that would be Sharia compliant. Let's assume that. So if that were the truth, and the only way to live in a house would be to buy a house uh, via interest, then you would only be allowed to buy in accordance with your standard of life. That's when Cape Town is an area known as Sharia State. So it would mean that I'm allowed to buy a house in Sharia State, which is in accordance with my needs. You understand? So if it's just my wife and I, then that would mean I buy a one-bedroom house. You understand? A maximum maybe a two-bedroom house. If there's other needs that require the other room. But no need to buy a three-bedroom house or four-bedroom house on interest. Uh, there's no need for such a house. You understand? So you cannot argue necessity. Also, I cannot use an interest-bearing bond to now buy a house in Bishop's Court. There is a more upmarket area in Cape Town because then I'm using interest to increase my standard of living. You understand? And no alim says that it is uh, permissible and uh, Allah knows best. Right? Any other questions, uh, Shama?
Marana, no questions have come through. Uh, there was a question that came through, but you addressed it now uh, in the in your discussion, inshallah. So we have another uh, few minutes left. Marana can um, maybe round up now, inshallah. Okay, uh, what's happening with the, with, the, with the slides is that we're basically at the end, you yeah, understand, okay. and uh, Allah knows best. Yeah, On this maybe issue, yeah. Final uh, advice for the evening. Ma? Maybe like a final advice for the evening. <laughs> uh, okay, no problem. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to focus on the slide and uh, final advice here. I mentioned previously that nobody's marrying uh, a perfect person in the year 2021, and we aren't perfect also. And the love that we will give them, understanding that we will give them, even if we have the best of intentions, uh, it won't be perfect. So uh, this is what I've realized in life. Whenever you're picking a spouse, you're always picking somebody imperfect. But for the marriage to work, you need to know what your, what your needs are. Uh, such needs that aren't open to negotiation. You understand? You wouldn't be able to love a basic good life without the fulfillment of those needs. We need to differentiate between what, what falls in that category, needs, and what are wants. So wants are things that if I get it, my life will improve. But if I don't get it, I won't, I won't technically suffer. I'm fine without it. So you must differentiate between needs and wants. Sometimes what we look for in spouses and what we look for in marriage technically is a want. But we act as if it is a need. And then at the end of the day, there's unhappiness. So that, that is not wise. So if I'm able to identify what my needs are, and ideally what I'm teaching people in the premarital course, which is the road to nikah, is I'm telling them, as you enter into marriage, tell yourself what are the two or three things that you want in a, in, in a marriage. If you're a lady, that you want in a man. If, you, if, if you're a man, what you want in a woman. What is a marriage good for? What is a man good for, husband good for? What is a wife good for? Answer that on two fingers or three fingers, maybe maximum five fingers. And limit things just to that. You understand? Needs are just that. If you are able to be like that, then what will happen is you will be happier than the average individual. It will be easy to make you happy also. It will be easy for your husband to make you happy. It will be easy for your wife to make you happy. And this is perhaps what the Prophet indicated to where the Prophet said, Aysar uh, nikahi mu'natan that uh, the marriage that takes the least finances to enter into is the marriage that will have the most barakah. So what I understand from that hadith is that if you are a person that is easy to please, then the likelihood of being happy, you understand, when you're married, that will be great. You understand? So if you know exactly what you need in a marriage, it's just a few things, you just need those things, and then you're going to be happy, you understand? And as for the rest, if you can't get it, alhamdulillah, but if you don't get it, you're not going to come to the conclusion that you're unhappy. If that's you, you're probably going to be a very happy husband. You're probably going to be a very happy wife. But if you are a person that has a list, and on this list is 15,000 things, you understand? The chances that you're going to be a happy, happily married man or happily married woman uh, is, 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 is very low. Is, is, is very low, and uh, Allah knows best. So fortunate is the one. Your needs in marriage, those are the strengths of your spouse. As for your wants in marriage, that is where the weakness of your spouse lies. So you're able uh, to manage. But if the weakness of your spouse lies in your marital needs, then you're sitting with a problem. Then you're sitting with a problem that really will have to be uh, addressed. 
and uh, looked at, and uh, Allah knows best. Either way, uh, tonight's lesson was an introductory lesson. Uh, I hope that you were able to take benefit from the lesson, and uh, we will see you next week. What did you want to say, Shana? I want to say shukran very much, Morana, for the very informative lesson. And as you said, I hope everybody has benefited from the course, inshallah. I just wanted to also mention that there is another course taking place this Friday evening. It's called Death and Beyond, which will also be presented by Mola Mo'ath. And um, I will be posting the, the poster in the group, inshallah. If you wish to sign up for that, uh, the details are on the post as well. Shukran once again for everybody. Shukran very much, Mawlana. We pray everybody has a good okay. evening. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Okay, jazakum ala khairan. All of the best. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.